Proverbs 16 and verse number 18. And if there is a verse that kind of pulls together the subject of pride, well, this is it. Matter of fact, most people will, will quote this particular verse. Proverbs 16, verse 18 reads, Pride goes before destruction, and haughty spirit before a fall. So if we are lifted up with pride, there is a negative consequence, and that is a destruction. And the same thing with a haughty or lifted up spirit within a man, that's going to bring a fall. And so we've got to be careful of pride as Christians. Now this year, what we're learning about is developing our lives as Christians to be as much like Christ as possible. And we've looked at the importance of the Word of God. We've looked at the importance of, well, so many different subjects. I'm going to rehash the whole year. But now we're looking at something that happens within us that, that is not partial to gender or any other thing. Age doesn't matter. Pride can come into a life at any given moment. And all of us have to be careful and guard against pride. Here it tells us if we allow pride to come into our lives and into our hearts, it is going to not, it will never have a positive consequence. It will always, always, always bring destruction and a fall. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 10, You'll remember how God encourages us there. Uh, he's going through an Old Testament survey, if you will. And as he's looking at the failures of the Old Testament saints, what he described there is this. Now, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but will, with that temptation, make a way of an escape that we'll be able to bear it. But do you know the verse right before that? Let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So he's, he's given this Old Testament survey saying, listen, look how these guys fell. And we're looking at them and saying, boy, they were dummies, weren't they? Why did they ever, you know, seen all those miracles, seen all those things? How could they, could they turn away from the Lord the way they did? And yet he says, now listen, New Testament, if you think you're about that, if you think, I would never do that, well, that's you're, you're ready for a fall. Because you're lifted up with pride, thinking, I can keep myself from doing this. And guess what? No, you can't. There is no sin that the world could ever conjure up that a Christian could fall into. Any. Anybody could fall in any given thing. So we've got to stop and say, I will never allow the circumstance to come in that I would allow myself to fall. By God's grace, I am what I am. I only do it because of the strength that comes from the Lord. So let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. Pride comes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. There was a former heavyweight boxer named James Quick Tillis, who was a cowboy from Oklahoma. I fought out of Chicago in the 1980s. And this is his quote. He still remembers this first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa. He says, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms. Into downtown Chicago, I went and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, and I looked up the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer 
I looked down, my suitcases were gone. <laughs> we think we're all that, don't we? We're not. You'll remember last week as we began to study the subject of pride, we found in the book of Romans and how God describes there for each and every one of us that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. But rather, on the flip side of that, we are to think soberly. So if we are to rationalize in our minds and really think with a sober mind, which is a mind that has modesty, it is thinking clearly instead of fabricating, making things what they really are not, then what happens is this. We begin to think soberly versus foolishly, which is full of pride. And as we evaluate ourselves in that text and we see the abilities that, that we have, the talents or anything that God has given for us to be able to do, that the sober mind recognizes where it came from rather than begin to brag about, I can do this. I was able to uh, bring myself to a place where, where I can play this instrument, where I can sing this way. You know, every good, precious thing comes down from the Father of mercy. Everything comes from our God. And that's the way the Christian begins to think. If we're going to develop for Christ, we come to a mindset that all that I have comes from Him. That I am nothing within myself. The moment we start thinking, I arrived, and we evaluate ourselves and say, look what I can do, we're in trouble. Pride comes before the destruction. There are, sadly, many ministries that have been lifted up numerically. Pride came as a result, and how quick that fall came. Listen, I was talking to Caleb, we were out uh, grabbing some lunch the other day, and I said, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to see how God uh, brings things together. And I kind of compare myself, uh, not just as a, as a shepherd, but I see myself kind of as a farmer. That what my job is is to, to plant seed. Just, you know, as much as I can get the word out, the seed out. And then what we learn in 1 Corinthians is that, you know, we water and we sow the seed, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So all of a sudden we see things going in a positive direction, and guess what Carl has to be careful of? Guess what we as a church have to be careful of? Pride. Because as soon as we get proud, we begin to relax. We start thinking everything's okay. You know what God's able to do? If I were a farmer and I saw this beautiful field, you know, corn or wheat, whatever, it only takes one bad storm. All of a sudden, it's wiped out. And that's what God is saying. If pride comes in, trust me, I can destroy it. I can destroy that what you are believing you did yourself. I can wipe it right out. Job found that out really quick. Now, not that he was lifted up with pride, but the illustration is God in a moment, in a day, can allow destruction to come into a life. So, we look at this day, we look at this moment, and we thank God for what we have. And that everything that I have this day, that I have this moment, is a gift from God because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So I pray 
Give me, Lord, this day the daily bread. Give me the source that I need for right now. Because pride begins to have confidence in self, in possessions, in wealth that so quickly could be taken away. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. It would, it would take one terroristic activity for everything that we know and hold on to to be wiped out. Does that scare you? It shouldn't as a Christian. So everything that happens for God. Now let's look back at Genesis. Let's see how this originated, this subject of pride. Now, and, and first John, as you turn, turn back to Genesis, you'll remember first John how he describes to us, uh, we're not the love of the world or the things that are in the world, the, the love of the world is in you, then you don't have the love of the Father. And then he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and, the, and then the pride of life. And we can talk about all three of them here in the Genesis account of the fall. But we're zeroing in on is one thing. And there's a reason I'm doing this. We're looking at just pride right now. We're just looking at how God uh, is teaching you and I how serious this is. And then how, uh, as a result of it, destruction can come. reason I'm taking my time on this is, as we know, that in the last days, as he goes through and describes for you and I, what is going to be going on in mankind, not just in America, but around the entire world, is this, that men shall be lovers of their own selves. They are going to be coveting, they are going to be boasters, and they are going to be proud, and they are going to be blasphemers, and disobedient to parents, kids listen to that, this is a sign of the times, is to rebel against authority, that's what that's all about. And then we begin un to be unthankful because why? Because I, I earned everything. I have to thank anybody. I work for it. I got it. So we even refuse to thank God in this generation for what God has given us. And that's why they want prayer out because prayer is thanks. Recognizing that there is a God above us who has done this for us, not we in our own strength. Humanism would say, no, we work for everything we have or we get. No, as Christians, everything that we have comes from our God. And then there is an unholiness that also is going to be rampant uh, in these the last days that we, that we live in. And in the midst of all of that is that men are going to be absolutely in love with their own selves. There's no one more important than me, myself, and I. I am the one. I am God. I'm the one that's in control. Because of that, the possessions that I have, and that's what it goes on to talk about, the coveting, all of a sudden, I'm going to be so in love with what I have, my monies, my materialistic things, and nobody's going to be able to take this from me, so it's all mine. And God says that kind of an attitude is going to bring a destruction. You cannot have confidence in the blood. And then they're all, all going to be proud of, of themselves, and God says, uh-uh, it doesn't happen. God does not use pride. He uses humility. So we evaluate ourselves in Romans 12. What he's saying is this. Everything that I have, the gifts that I have, have come as a result of the grace of God that was given to me. And if God has given me the ability to teach or to pastor or uh, uh, to have administrative skills or I have some capabilities here, God says don't use that as a lording over others thinking you are better than others, but rather through humility we begin to use those gifts to serve. And then as we do that, God is able to, to take that even further. And then what happens is this. The result of humility is I'm going to raise you up to a place of leadership. So humility 
brings leadership. So this is this is where we're headed. So we've got to get the mind off of I want to be at the at the front of the line. I want to be number one. Get that out of your mind. But rather think this way, Christian. I want to see how I can serve. I want to do the things that maybe nobody else wants to do as a servant. I want to do those dirty jobs, if if you will. I was talking to some young men there in construction the other day. And he says how how they work together, the three boys, how they work together as a team. Because there's one that will always do the job that the other two don't necessarily like to do or, or, or want to do. And so, so he does these things, so that enables them to do the other things that they're better maybe at doing. And that's exactly what the church is all about. We can't all do the same thing. But pride in us wants us to do things that maybe that are in front of others rather than the things that are behind the scene. And that's what God is trying to show you and I. It is the humility, the things that are that are sometimes even looked down upon, that seemingly God uses for his glory. And so let's learn humility. The origin of it, we looked last week also, is that Satan was the one that claimed, I will be like the most high God. And because of that, that rise of pride inside of the created being, Satan, who is an angel, the Lucifer, Lucifer as he's called, is the one, because of that pride, he ended up falling and even took a third of the angels with him in that destruction. And so there is no way, because of that pride, for them to ever regain what has been lost. Pride destroys and sometimes the pride that we have destroys things that we have been building or God has been doing in our lives and it can't be recovered. It's called destruction. You might try to rebuild, but guess what? If something is busted, it's never the same. You ever had a surgery? You're never the same. Something is cut, it's been separated. Yeah, you might see the walls were tore down in the Old Testament, but trust me, they were not rebuilt the exact same way. When there's something happening in our lives, and I'm trying to do this as a preventive, don't allow Satan to come in to tempt you through pride to destroy something that's going on in your life through God, because sometimes it's, it's done then. In Genesis 3, we see about Satan in verse 1, and the first thing he does is says, listen, God's word, don't believe it. To this day and age, if there is something that is being criticized, it is the authority of the Word of God. Okay? Well, you remember that. You don't remember anything else today? Just remember, there is an attack, as always has been going on since Genesis 3, an attack on the authority of the Word of God. And this day, many have learned to question Christians and say, you mean you're going to believe in a book that man wrote? Through all these years, like that comes from God because man wrote it. Mm -hmm. Would you believe it more if skunks wrote it down? <laughs> you know, yes, God used man to write down the scriptures. But when you see how God brought these 66 books together, old, new, dispensationally, right in line, all of these books written over these thousands of years by many men to bring it all together, and it absolutely pulls together beautifully. Man couldn't have come up with this. By the way, if there were man writing this, he wouldn't have written Genesis 3. That's the first proof of it all. You know why? Well, how could it be that man would be so dumb to fall? We're smarter than this. 
me, man, the sinner. Condemnation. I wouldn't write that about man. I'd be writing what most want to hear. Man, you're a pretty good guy. You're okay. You know, you don't go too bad. You know, you have a beer once in a while. You don't get drunk. You know, you don't rob banks. You're a pretty good guy. You're just a good old boy, you know. And it's like, no, no, no. We're rock sinners. That's what the scripture says. Man doesn't come up with this stuff. God does. Okay. So he goes in and questions the authority of the word and says, are you sure that's exactly what God says? You shall not eat of everything that's in the garden? And she said, of course, Paul, of course we're allowed to eat of all the plural trees in verse number two. But there is one tree in particular that we are not allowed to eat of it, and it is in the middle of the garden, and we're not going to eat it. We're going to stay away from it. We're not going to pick it up and touch it. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to touch it. I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to die. And God says, don't do it. And the question of the authority again in verse number four, the last part he said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. See, God's hiding something from you. God doesn't want you to know it. You're not going to die. You know, the, the deception of the world is right now is that I am not going to have eternal death. I, I, I'm not going to have that. And, and Satan is, is deceiving right now to think there is no life after death. And if there is, it is more of this karma you're going to just come back in some other form. You're going to, you know, come back and, you know, and maybe you'll, you'll be, you know, as the, the Hindu belief, you know, maybe you'll eventually come back like a, a rat or something like a holy cow or something along the line. It's like, give me a break. We don't come back as an animal. I'm not going downhill. Okay? I am made in the image of God. I'm not in the image of an animal. We're two distinct types. We're not the same. We're a different kind, as he says in Genesis chapter number one. That's not who we are. And don't take the lie of the evolutionists. It is a lie. It is a theory, folks. So we see in the scriptures, guess what? I am an eternal being. The moment I am conceived, the moment I am conceived inside the womb, God says, I am an eternal being. And I have an eternity to look forward to, and that is either eternal life through Christ or eternal death if I reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He that has the Son has, he that has not the Son has not life. Okay? So we get life to that. So Satan's trying to say, you're not going to die. And, you know, Satan is so good at half truths. Now follow me. Did the moment they ate of that fruit, did they physically go, oh, I'm dead? And the answer is no. Now, through process of time, we know that physically they did die. But it's almost like in their mind, it was like an annihilation. You're not going to be annihilated. But rather, God is trying to suppress you because he doesn't want you to be elevated to be like he is. He wants to keep you down as these humble little servants that he gets to say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And you don't want to look like that. You see, he knows the moment you eat this stuff, your eyes are going to be opened up. You are going to become as gods. And you know what you're going to have the capability of doing? Just one thing that he throws out of them. You are going to have a knowledge. You're going to have the ability to know the difference between good and evil. You're going to have this ability. You're going to be just 
like God. Don't you, don't you want to be just like God? What a temptation. And that is going right into the issue we're talking about. It's pride. I want to become something that I am not. That's not sober thinking. That is led by pride. Oh, he knows that you're going to be knowing this good and evil in, in the same text. Even verse 22, again, remember how Satan is like, yeah, it's right, but it's wrong? Even in verse 22 of the same text, look, 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 look what God says. The Lord God said, Behold, the man, this is after they ate, the man is become as one of us, notice this, knowing good and evil now. You say, well, so it was a good thing. No, it was, it was a bad thing. Because there was no temptation, no understanding of lust before the fall. Hence, that's the way they were clothed, or lack of it, I should say. Because there was no, no awareness of what could be lustful in thoughts. And so God says, don't do this. It's a state of absolute pure innocence that was absolutely lost as a result of the fall. That's why the moment, the moment they ate, the first thing they understood was embarrassment and wrong desires. And so they began to clothe themselves. And by the way, that didn't work. Because God had to give them something proper to follow me. Because they were looking for, I'm going to clothe myself and God says, no, there is a pure clothing that is going to come as a result of the sacrifice, a blood sacrifice that I will clothe you. And that's talking about the righteousness that comes of God. And so this righteousness that is a clothing that comes from God is that which purifies, if you will. If you will. And so sure enough, man has this awareness then of wrong and right, good and evil. And the eyes of them both were opened up. Now this is how she went through this. Verse 6, when the woman saw, he saw that the tree was good for food. Well, he's right there. Wasn't to the eye. Boy, look at that. It looks better than any of the other trees. And temptation always does. And that, that tree to be, make one wise, or that knowledge, if you will. She took up the fruit. She gave it all to her, to her husband that was there. And then immediately the eyes were opened up. Then goes on the rest of what I talked to you about. Satan, what he had within himself was pride. Satan understands things, folks, beyond even human reasoning. He has been in the presence of God. Man is made a little lower, as the song said. Man is made a little lower than the angels. And yet we've been given administration over creation. And yet we don't have those capabilities that angels have. And it's an interesting study. Everybody loves angels, you know, studying of angels and what they can do is good, bad, you know, the capabilities that they have, the bring the wrath, the messages. That's powerful what they do. And this one angel who was the highest in his position because of pride fell, knowing that man is made in the image of God, not like an angel. We don't become angels when we kick the bucket, okay? We don't become an angel, you know, the halo and the wings and all that stuff. No, that doesn't happen, okay? We're an image of God, not the image of an angel. 
And so these angels who were created, though, knew what God had created in man and knew that in the heart of man there was a weakness. And it's, it may not be a huge weakness, but it is a weakness. Uh, yesterday I'm walking outside and I'm uh, looking at the sidewalk. And, you know, they did a good job. The house, you know, they, they sealed everything. But right where they would cut the concrete, you know, into those walkways. And so it doesn't crack in wintertime, etc. You know, so there's ability to move. Sure enough, there is this wee little pinhole. And you know what comes up out of that little pinhole? Dandelions. <laughs> so here's this little pinhole. And here's this plant that comes out and grows this big, you know, big yellow dandelions all over the place. And it's coming out of this wee little hole. It's right there. That's how Satan works. He finds this wee, small, little weakness. It is able to exploit that and bring and flourish something that we don't want. We don't want weeds. And so this is exactly what Satan did when Eve is tempted in just the smallest thing. It's like one tree. I mean, she could have turned around and said, I can have that, 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 I can have that. Look at all those. I can have all of those things. But this one I can't have. Just one. I want it. And it's going to give me something. And Satan understands pride. Now we saw how Eve fell, and we know how Jesus didn't fall. Because the same way of tempting, he came to Jesus Christ, he himself, just like he did here, came to Jesus Christ and began to tempt him. And he begins to break in the loss of flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life. That he is so important to God, even if he jumps down, that the angels are going to bear him up because you're so important to God. It's like, no, 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 no. That's called tempting God. You don't do that. That's pride. We don't allow these things to be. So any of us can go through these temptations of pride. And as we learned last week in Proverbs 21 4, he says that pride is. Anybody remember the answer? Sin. Okay? Pride is sin to you and I. And it will tear us down just like it did Eve. If we do not put, put this guard up, we will then take that which we have genetically taken on as heirs, this great pride that first was inside of Satan himself, Adam and Eve, and then is also inside of us. But you ever notice, even as children coming up through, how pride is such an important thing? My dad can beat your daddy up. Now, why do we kids even have to bring that up? It's like, I'm better than you. I'm faster than you. I'm good. Like, everything is built on self. And, and from that age to the very end, we have to watch for pride. And if we do not, we will fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Now, in Timothy, first Timothy, he goes through the qualifications. Let's go ahead and look at this. I'll develop this just a little bit. First Timothy, chapter number three. Verse Timothy chapter 3. Uh, you'll, you'll see in verse number 1, this is a uh, true saying that if a man, not a woman, a man 
desires the office of a bishop, talk about pastor, he desires a good work. Again, he. The bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. It's hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife in the scriptures. Follow me? To be vigilant. I'm going somewhere with this all. This is the day and age we're in. Okay? And it's like, you don't ordain women. It's not scriptural. Okay? And if you say, well, you're a man saying that, you know, no, no, no. It had nothing to do with that. I didn't write this stuff. God did. Mine is just to obey. And pride will put a person into a position that God did not ordain. It's pride, folks. So, instead of being what we are, so he'd be husband, one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given hospitality, ability to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler, covenant, not covetous, uh, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. If a man knows not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? And now verse number six, not a novice or like a beginner, early in, in his abilities and scriptures and, and spiritual walk, etc. Lest being lifted up with, what's the word? Pride. He fall into the condemnation or the same condemnation that which tore down the devil. Pride comes before destruction. You pray for your pastors. You pray for all of us in leadership. That we would not allow ourselves to be lifted up with pride that as though we have now accomplished something. Because God says that's exactly when Satan was put into that position of, of leadership. The pride is what enabled him or made him fall as a result. So even a pastor can be lifted up with pride that a destruction would come. So, you don't take a new guy that's just saved, and all of a sudden, you throw him in, in, into ministry, and you just don't do that. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere here with this, folks. So, we're applying this to a pastor. So, uh, you have a guy comes in, and, and he gets saved, he gets baptized, and says, guess what? I'm going to be a pastor, and I'd like to preach next Sunday morning. Tell everybody, get everybody all straightened out in, 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 in their doctrine. And, and we'd be saying, uh, son, you need to have a seat first. You, you, need to, you need to be here, and you need to observe and to learn. And we're not talking about learning customs and manners. We're, not, we're, we're talking about learning about the Lord. I remember the first time I preached. And how many people came up to me and patted me on the back and said, oh, that was, that was so good. Is this your first message? Oh, you did such a great job. After I was finished with schooling, got ordained, took the first church, I had young people, had gone through Bible college, come up to me and pat me on the back, Pastor, I can't believe you just finished Bible college. I cannot believe that you know all these things already if you just get started. Before it all, my head was so big it had a problem getting out of that church. <laughs> you think it doesn't make you swell up when people start complimenting you? Oh, I want to hear you do this or hear you sing. Oh, I like you doing it. All of a sudden, you start thinking, I'm something. And guess what? You're nothing. And that's what we're trying to show you today. Carl Henry is nothing. Nathan, we're nothing but servants. Remember, Paul says, as servants through whom you believed. 
The most, yeah, there, was a, there was a preacher, first time he preached. He was from uh, Pennsylvania, so far Pennsylvania. I love this story he told. Because I preached the very first, first time I preached. He said, it's a pretty big crowd. And sure enough, the end of the service had the invitation, and two people came down and got saved. He said, folks, humanly speaking, to me, that was the worst thing that happened to me. He goes, because two people got saved, he said, I started doing that. He goes, probably, next time I preach, probably four people are going to come down and get saved. Next time, maybe even eight, ten. Before all, they're going to be flooding the aisle because I'm going to increase in my knowledge and ability to preach. Or people are just going to run down and get saved. Needless to say, the next time he preached, guess how many got saved? Zip. <laughs> God has to break us sometimes, even leaders. Now, how about you? And you can apply this to human talents spiritual gifts that you have, positions that you have in this church, do you think this place could function without you? It can. You know, the other day I was, uh, Stan's not here, hey, but uh, the other day I was talking to somebody about Stan, and this guy covers my back, as you all know. That guy is like all over the place. I can't keep up with him. And, uh, and I said this, and realistically, it's not true, but I said, you know, when, if, if Stan were to go to heaven, I, I said, I, I honestly, folks, I would panic. Because this guy is in the hospital. I mean, he is all over the place. And, and he works so diligent for you folks. But guess what? Stan is replaceable. Now, Bobby, they're involved so many things around here. Guess what? Lord willing, in September, they're going to be in Haiti. And she's not going to be here singing that duet with Douglas up here. And Al's not going to be out visiting and doing the things that they do, the discipleship and the Bible studies and everything that they're involved with. And guess what? They're replaceable. Because God wants to use them down there in great ways. And so guess what that means? Somebody else is going to need to step up and do the same job that these folks are doing. Follow me? No one can think in their minds in any position no matter how how open it is for others to see to think that you're not replaceable God wants to use you but I want you to remember this God does, doesn't just use people he uses humble people that are in it for the right reasons and motives I'll give you a motive in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, we know it as the love chapter. And he says, you know, in this whole list of things, he goes, oh, you have the faith that you can remove mountains, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. But if you do not have love, love, it is absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, it is nothing but a bunch of noise people are making. And God says it's meaningless. As though, if we don't have the right motives, then there's no reward behind what we do, even though we accomplish something. People saw, okay, this happened as a result, but God says, yeah, but I'm still looking inside of the heart to make sure that the motive is right. And so there's going to be a reward or lack of based on intentions of the heart. And if we begin to do it, as he described in Matthew chapter 6, how the Pharisees and the religious leaders at that time, when they went, they just loved to go into the corners of the streets 
and to be able to yell out these long prayers for all the people and the blessings of all the people. And he says, you're going to just receive a man. Guess what you get? Nothing. He said, all they love to say, oh, yeah, I just gave so-and-so a $100 bill. Yeah, I just wanted to minister to him. You just did it. Have you seen a man? Why would you tell everybody what you're doing? What is it called? Pride. That's why he said when you fast and you pray, you don't talk about it, you just do it. Because if we do it and brag, we're getting the recognition for self, and that's called pride. You just do it, folks. You don't have to have a banner. Look at how holy I am. Look at all that I have done for the Lord today. Look at my great sacrifice. Just do it, folks. You don't have to brag about it. And what's going to happen then is your reward in heaven will be great. Because you had the right motive. And it, sadly, many things that are done in Christianity are done for self. Pride, religious self-righteousness, rather than for the right cause of Christ. And so that's why sometimes very little is said about what Christ actually did for the sake of humility. Even the disciples. Can you imagine? You know, even, even as John describes about the works of Jesus Christ, the world literally could not contain the books that should be written about one man, Jesus Christ. And this whole world could not contain the books that ought to be written about him. But these are written. This is just a summary, the scriptures, of what we have in knowledge of what Jesus Christ did while here on this earth. I cannot imagine the tears, the anguish, the hunger, the thirst, everything that Jesus Christ went through for the cause of the kingdom. And there are things that happen behind the scenes that we don't even know about through this ministry and missions around the world. And no one is recording it. No one's writing the books about it. And yet these are done out of absolute humility. Folks, one day in heaven, God will reveal those things. They will be rewarded for the works that they have done, whether man recognized it or not. We have to be careful that our motives are right or willing, or next week. Father, bless the time. Your word is clear, and now we've learned where, where this pride thing comes in. It comes as a result of the temptation that you have given us in your word to show us where it comes from, and it is a temptation that Satan will quickly use. Lord, teach us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Lord, teach us humility. And Lord, I'm trying my best to show all of us in this room that if we have pride, we can't be humble. These cannot mince. Lord, there may be some here this day that need to be broken. I pray that you'll break us. Lord, we know that if we are lifted up with pride, that it'll be destroyed anyways. I pray that, Lord, you will teach us true biblical humility through the example of Christ. Lord, there may be some here in this room that because of pride, trying to do it in their own way, and their own strength, they will not get saved. Lord, I pray that you will break them. 
help them to realize that they cannot do it themselves. That they need Christ. Lord, we thank you for the victories that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, for equipping us to be able to do those things that, humanly speaking, we could never achieve. Lord, we as a church recognize that this place exists because of you, not because of a man. We know that you choose to use us, but Lord, you are the authority. You are the sovereign one. You are the one that brings it to pass. And we want to thank you for that this day. Lord, we as a church we could be lifted up with pride. Lord, help us not to be proud. Help us not to relax. Help us not to allow that weakness, that small hole for Satan to come in, to tempt, and to destroy. Thank you, Father, for your word and the help that it gives us that it is that light for a Bless this brief invitation. It is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Friends, going to play through a verse of invitation. Now, if you are here, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we encourage you to come down and we will show you from God's Word how to be saved this day before you leave this place. If you're here as a child of God, the Lord's working in your heart, just think about it, commit it to the Lord. Ask him to help you. If you would like to come down, if you'd like to pray with you, if you would like to do that, and that's what we're here for. So if she plays, you have that need, we encourage you to come. <laughs>